Okay guys, welcome to the Laid Backpack. Uh, this is going to be um, an individual episode. I know usually we see you know, me with both Nick, uh, the other Nick, and Drew. Um, but I'm going to be doing a recording for uh, one of my courses in school. Um, so today we're going to be focusing on uh, one particular theme um, from the U.S. Great Depression <clears throat> in United States history. I do apologize for the cough. I'm still going through the ending stages of a nasal infection, so I'm just going to have to deal with my voice like this. Sorry about that. Um, but anyway, um, let's just get right into it. Um, so the major theme that I've decided to focus on is the social division or social fracturing that occurred in the United States um, since the Great Depression, but it's more prevalent in the 1960s. <clears throat> now, this um, social fracturing we see on a couple ends of the spectrum. Um, firstly, you have a left-right divide. Um, now, the left is going to be more focused on like civil rights movements. So we're going to see the Chicano movement come out of this. We're going to see the civil rights movement. We're going to see the feminist movement. And what I mean by come out of this is that they're going to get uh, become a little bit more prevalent because all three of these existed in some form or fashion before the 1960s. And that's really important to understand because it's not like the 1960s come, these groups emerge to fight for their rights and they dissipate after the 1960s. Um, a lot of these movements still have um, people who would consider themselves a part of this movement to this day. Um, so on the left, we see these broader social movements, but what's really important to understand about these social movements is they themselves saw some type of fracturing or some type of division inside their own movements. So in the civil rights movement, of course, you have Martin Luther King on one side. And then on the other side, you have people like Malcolm X, the, the Nation of Islam, uh, people who are part of the Black Power Movement, people who are part of the Black Panthers. And so you see, even in the civil rights movement, there's this larger or not larger, but there's this division that it goes through. And of course, in that movement, certain members would have called the Black Panthers or Malcolm X radicals. And so when we go into the Chicano movement, you're going to see something very similar in the sense of you have the movement as a whole, and then it begins to divide in itself. And so in the Chicano movement, you have it, you know, divided based on gendered lines. You know, um, some feminist activists inside the Chicano movement, they start creating their own groups, um, their own places, their own organizations so that they can go out and put their voice out in the sense of, you know, yeah, we're fighting for our rights as Chicanas, but we're also fighting for our rights as Chicano women. And so it's really important to understand that, you know, there's not necessarily one giant organization in the Chicano movement or in the civil rights movement, but that inside these movements, there are multiple factions. And, and the reason why that's important is because by lumping everybody into these broader movements, we forget about the individual histories, right? Because history is a lot of things, but history is really about people, really about individuals, people out there fighting for their own rights or fighting to make change. Of course, there's history of wars, there's history of this, but, but at the end of the day, you know, when we see a number like 26,000 people killed, you know, each one of those 26,000 was a person. And I know it sounds like a, a weird thing to say, but often we don't think of that. And I think 
when we start lumping, you know, the Chicano movement as one movement or the civil rights movement as one movement, or even as I'll go to here in the moment, the feminist movement as one movement, we forget about the individual actors and the individual people who are part of these. Um, so that does kind of bring me right on to the feminist movement. Um, so even inside this movement, we do see divisions. Um, we see a group come out, the radical feminist, um, who kind of took themselves out of the giant or, or the larger feminist movement. They were fighting for something different. And what we see inside even this radical feminist movement is that there is a division in them. There are this group of people who call themselves the cultural, well, they don't call themselves the cultural feminist. You know, we assign that label to them and eventually they are going to take up that mantle. But the reason why it's important is to understand that these cultural feminists would have called themselves radical feminists. They're coming out of that movement. And what happens is, is they eventually end up displacing the radical feminists as a larger portion of the movement. And the reason why that's important is to show that sometimes this social division or this social fracturing led to the displacement of groups inside that movement. Um, so I've talked a little bit about the people on the left, and I'll dive a little bit more into the people on the right. And so on the right wing, we see kind of a, um, um, I'm trying to think of the word here, we see kind of like a counter movement. Like these are the things you guys stand for. You know, you stand for um, civil rights, you stand for gay rights. Um, they don't necessarily specifically will be like, no, no, we're anti anybody getting rights, but they start reframing the terms and they start talking about, you know, by them, by certain minorities getting civil rights, people in the, the white majority were losing something, you know, they're getting on welfare. <clears throat> they start reframing this so that it's not that they're racist, it's that they're losing something by the other people gaining something. Now, NASA becomes this really kind of interesting um, point in the sense that people on the left say, hey, you know, a lot of the money that we're pouring into NASA could be poured into these impoverished neighborhoods or can be used to help out people who um, live in these ghettos who are getting negatively impacted by environmental racism. Whereas the right says, no, 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 no. If you're against NASA, you're against America. You know, you're pro-communist, you're anti-American. And that's important because it's, it's again, reframing. It's saying, hey, by you fighting for your rights, you're anti-American. Um, that might not necessarily be the case, but that's kind of how I took it when I did some of these readings. Um, and so the last thing that I really want to discuss before I close, because I am running a little bit over time here, guys, is that the right wing also, or not necessarily the right wing, but the right group, the group on the right also saw some division, right? There's going to be this white power movement that emerges um, after Vietnam. Again, not to say that white racism didn't exist before or people, you know, pushing these ideas didn't exist before, but it's really going to start gaining prevalency here in like the 80s, the 90s. But it really starts emerging right after Vietnam. And a lot of these people said that they were forced to go fight a war that they couldn't win. But what's really important is that in this movement, these would be the radicals. These would be the people who, you know, are not looking to work with the government. They're looking to overthrow it. I mean, we see people like Timothy McVeigh come out of this who actually participate in bombings. And I might actually, you know, give us a new podcast where I kind of go through each one of these movements independently because they each deserve a little bit of time and kind of shortening it up here makes me skip over a lot of details. You think you thought five minutes would be enough? Apparently not. Um, but 
inside of this movement, they focused on leaderless resistance. And the purpose of this is so that they could um, go commit these acts of violence and then say, well, we don't have a leader, we're not connected. And it really allowed, you know, people like Timothy McVeigh to be labeled as lone wolf or psychotic or mentally ill. And that this way, people couldn't get charged on the broader point of the movement. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and move on to closing. Uh, I, again, audience, if you guys want to see a little bit more of this, uh, let me know. Um, and I'll go through actual points, list actual organizations, just since this was a little bit shorter. Um, but what's really important to see here is, you know, there's never really been one cohesive, you know, culture in the United States. But especially after the Great Depression, we start seeing, you know, more and more and more divisions. Um, now, it is important to note that a lot of the, you know, people in these movements, um, a lot of the things that they were saying, we still have echoes to this day. You know, like you could honestly probably trace the creation of the new right and militia movements and this white power movement to the capital riots. I'm confident you can. Um, the book that we specifically read at that was uh, published in 2018, I believe. So it was a little bit before that. But I'm, I'm confident that you could trace this militia movement. You could trace this white power movement all the way to the Capitol riots. Now, I could be wrong. Um, it's up to you guys to read the book. Um, and what I'll do eventually is I'll re-record a podcast dedicated to that book because I think it's really important because it allows us to see um, you know, how this movement, this white power movement is still impacting politics to this day. Anyway, guys, y'all have a good day there. Bye.